0: Turn to Jonah chapter four, Yes, Chapter four, the last chapter of Jonah. We only read verses four, I mean four verses, so uh, not completely there yet. So let's read together. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord... Take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down on the place at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And so far we read from the word of God. So today is the second last sermon in the book of Jonah. And as we draw a series to the closure or to conclusion, I almost want to go back to the beginning of the series. In the early days of this series, as I was trying to help us get handle into the book of Jonah, I suggested that there are two broad movements in the story of Jonah. And through these two broad movements, we are able to locate Jonah's calling. In the first movement, we find Jonah running away from God in disobedience. In the second movement, it shows us Jonah finally obeying God and saying yes to the calling of God. But there is something very important for us to grasp in both of these movements. Jonah fails. He fails dismally. Even when Jonah finally obeyed God, he still fails. His heart towards the Ninevite has not changed. And so there is no chapter in the story of Jonah that exposes his prejudices towards the Ninevites than chapter 4 of his book, which is where we are this morning. In chapter 4, we see Jonah struggling to grasp and come to terms with God's grace For the Ninevites. He is struggling. He is not willing to come to terms. So today we join Jonah in his journey. We find him as an evangelist who had turned the entire city to God only by eight words. We find this great missionary, we find him grumpy this morning. He's grumpy. He is throwing a terrible sulk. If you have children, you will know how does that look like, a sulk. That's what Jonah is doing this morning. Back in chapter 2, or in chapter 3, we saw Jonah delivering. This very unattractive gospel message to Nineveh. Very unattractive gospel message. At the heart of that message was these words, 40 days and you have it. 40 days, guys, that's all you have. That was Jonah's message. And he hoped by so preaching that message, he's going to put them off. And to his surprise, even from the king to the least of the people, everyone repented. They called the fast. They genuinely repented. The rough, the tough, the godless Ninevites turned their hearts to God. From the top to the list. and so when God saw that that turnaround of the Ninevites, He lifted the threat. He lifted the threat, and so Jonah is angry as a result of that. He's not just angry; he is furious. He's mad. At God. I must confess, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me at this stage to relate with Jonah here. Yeah. That at the repentance of people, people turning their hearts to God, the prophet, the evangelist, the messenger will be mad. What's wrong with his heart? you see you see you see because the heart of an evangelist is to see people turning to god that's the heart of an evangelist which we are all are in different ways of course we've got people who've got a gift of evangelist we've got the makeup of evangelist they go to places that we wouldn't dare to go to but in principle, if we believe in Jesus, we all are evangelists. Because we can tell something God has done to us. Has God done something in your life? Yes. If he has, then you have a story to tell. And when you do that, you are evangelizing, you are winning others to God. However, there are those who are specifically called for that kind of a mission, they go to places that I wouldn't dare go to. And so Jonah was specifically in that way, uh, that evangelist was going to the place, to the far and wide places. So it's hard for me to relate with him as to why he is fuming here. I used to be part of a mission-sending church, specifically to the persecuted countries where it's not easy for people to share the gospel. And in about in a period of two to three years, a missionary will come back to take a break and again raise support and give feedback to the people that are supporting him. And as they come back, they will celebrate the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of the work. They will thank the church family for the support. They will thank the church for the generous gifts that they receive. And they will tell the church, it's all worth it. And that's what I would assume we would expect from Jonah. That he is calling back to the church. He is on Skype or he is on something telling the church what God has done in Nineveh. But no, not Jonah. He is instead sulking. We would expect him to be telling the people, you won't believe what God has done. We've seen the revival. But here, instead, he is sulking and he is withdrawing. He prefers the judgment of God over these people. He is angry with God that he, is re- he rescued them. He believes that they deserved or they deserve to be destroyed instead of being rescued. So this morning we're going to think about his anger and hopefully we're going to learn something from that anger and be able to admit that also we can relate with Jonah. In verses 1, we read verses 1 and 2, we read these words. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so, he is not happy that God has shown mercy to these. Ninevites. And there are two prayers that we see in this book of Jonah. The first one is in chapter 2. And there Jonah is praying. A humble sinner repenting and embracing God's forgiveness. And praising God. But here in chapter 4. Jonah is praying in pride. In chapter 2, Jonah is justifying God and accusing himself. And here he's accusing God. And there he's talking about himself and me. And so he is angry at God for showing mercy. He seems to be quick to forgive, to forget that God also rescued him. And because God rescued him, he also wants to rescue others. He also has been forgiven. And if God has forgiven him, God also wants to forgive others through him and so he instead of celebrating what God has done through him he is sulking and he is not happy at what God is doing through him that this is, not why, this is why I was not willing to go to Nineveh at first, because I know that you are a merciful God who relents to give anger to those who are against you. So we find the prophet not celebrating the, re- the restoration of the city, of the people who have come back to God. He's not celebrating. Instead, he is sulking that the people have turned back to God. And he's resenting their repentance back to God. And that's something that can happen to all of us if it has happened to the prophet, to the person sent by God, to sent and commissioned by God, it also could happen to us that we find ourselves deserving of the grace that has been extended to us. And that grace is only for us, not for others. And when God extend that grace which he had extended to us, we sulk like Jonah, we become angry at God. In verses 2, he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending is the calamity. And if he believes that, which is true to who God is, Why is he not happy that God has done it to other people? Let's remember that Jonah is a prophet. And the Bible tells us that as prophets, they are the people who are the channel of God's love to others. And yet that same prophet, instead of celebrating... What God has done, he instead, sulking. In verses 3, because he's sulking, he says, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I'll be better dead than to live. He's struggling with the grace and the compassion of God to the people of Nineveh. And he wants to pass out instead of celebrating what God has done through him. Us too can be like him. Sometimes we can be entitled Of God's grace, it only belongs to us. And when God extends that grace to others, we can sulk and be grumpy like Jonah. Instead of celebrating what God has done, how God has rescued this wicked Nineveh and brought it to him. And brought it in from it being lost. But instead bringing it in for rescue. So Jonah is not happy to receive the news of God. What God has done to the Ninevite. So Jonah was involved in what we call the world mission, when he went to Nineveh. But Jonah was not a global Christian. He was not a global Christian. Because God calls us to be global Christians, to look beyond ourselves. In John 3.16, we read these words that we know so well For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Now, one of the dangers with those verses, they become too familiar and they they lose the shock that they carry. God so loved the world. God so loved everyone. God so loved even the people that I may not fully, fully love. And God sends us to those people because he gave his son. So it's God's love not only for the chosen, which is the Israelites, but for the foreigner as well. God so loved the foreigner. Seemingly, Jonah has forgotten that. He loved these wicked Ninevites. He didn't want just to judge them, but he also wanted to show mercy to them. And so God stretches Jonah's mission hora- horizons of, of his missions. And I think he wants to stretch our own horizons of mission. The Nordic. Not only for those we may like, those who may be like us, but His grace is for those who may not belong to us as well. So how can we be able to show the mercy of God even to those who are different from us? Even those we may not feel that God Has grace for them. Well, firstly, as we apply, as we think about applying this message, by prayer, that's how we can become the global Christians. By prayer. You can't pray to a global redeemer and only bring your personal concerns and forget about other people. If you know who God is, how great he is, that he is a global redeemer. When you come to him, you're not only coming carrying your own needs and your own concerns. But you come to him with broader concerns of other people. Knowing that stretches us beyond our immediate And our world. We pray also for our brothers and for our sisters, not only for ourselves. And we pray for the world around us. That's the first way. How do we pray? Is the way we pray models and demonstrate that we believe to a global redeemer? Is the way you pray models that belief and that faith. Secondly, giving. The way in which we give demonstrates as to whether we believe to a God who is global, who cares beyond me and beyond the people I may and may not like. He cares for all of them, even the Ninevites whom Jonah didn't like very much. And so your giving to the church enables us to take the mission of God far and wide and beyond the walls of the church and beyond those we know. I can't keep my finances out of discipleship. I can't restrict my generosity outside of discipleship. It is part of being a follower of Christ, how I give and how I show concern to others. And then third, how we relate. Are we modeling a global God, an inclusive inclusive God? Or do we relate and mix with those who are like me? Do I relate and mix with my type? And if I do, then I'm not modeling this global God. Let's remember those three points, areas of application as we go out. Prayer, giving, and relationships. Do I have people in my circles of relationship? who are different from me? Whether by their style, by their culture, by their race, are they different from me? Am I able to influence them? How is my giving to the work of God? Am I enabling the church I claim to belong to to take the mission of God far and wide, Or am I limiting it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that in many ways we, we are like Jonah. Us too, Lord, we we tend to focus to what we know, what we like, and to what makes us comfortable. And yet, Lord, you are a global redeemer. You've called us to reach far and wide, to reach the people who may be different from us and who are not like us. And so, Jonah, we, Lord, we pray that we will learn not to repeat what Jonah did to limit your grace only to those he knows, only to those he loves, only to those he feels comfortable with, but rather to take your grace far and wide for the whole world to receive it. And as we now, Lord, come around your table to celebrate what you've done for us on the cross and for what you continue to do, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be reminded of what it is that we are participating in as we eat and drink, that we're participating and celebrate what you've achieved. That we can call ourselves your children is because of what you've achieved on the cross. So Lord, we, we thank you that this is not a ritual, but this is us calling to memory of what you've done in Jesus' name.